I've uh, titled today's share Alcohol-Induced Homicide, the Case of Rabba and Rabzeira. And the reason for that is the Gemara, which is in the first uh, source in our source sheet. You can find the source sheet online. Just log into my website and you can download it. It's a Gemara Megillah. The Gemara Megillah, Dav Zayin Ahmed Bey, 7b, talks about the obligation to become, and I'm not saying this lightly, blind, drunk, on Purim. Omar Rava. Rava said, a person is obligated to become intoxicated with wine on Purim. Chayev, Michayev Inish Libesume, doesn't say with wine actually in the Gemara, but that's the way the Halacha interprets it, but Puri on Purim. Ad de yada ben orur homon le mordechai. So that he's not able to distinguish between cursed is homon and blessed is mordechai. The Gemara continues, I'm just reading the translation. The Gemara says a story. Rabba and Rabzeira prepared a Purim feast with each other together and they became intoxicated to the extent that Rabba got up and I'm going to read you the Hebrew. He murdered Rabbi Zeira. Literally, the word shachte means slaughtered, like you would to an animal before eating it, right? He murdered Rabbi Zeira. The next day, says the Gemara, Lamachar, by Rachme Vachaye. Rabba was sober. He realized he'd done something wrong, and he asked Hashem for mercy, and he revived Rabbi Zera back to life. The following year, so a year later, after this crazy incident had taken place, Rabbi said to Rabbi Zera, let the master come over and let us prepare the Purim feast together. In other words, let's have a repeat performance of last year. I don't know what you would have responded, but Rabbi Zera was obviously a man who didn't want to put himself through the same level of stress and the potential for murder as on the previous year. And he responded as follows. Miracles do not happen each and every hour. And therefore, I don't want to go through this experience again. I think that you can agree it's an extremely odd story and particularly coming um, immediately after the instruction by Rava that one must become blind drunk on Purim. So we're going to now go through this whole sugya. We're going to examine this entire piece of Gemara, this passage here in Megillah of Zion Ahmed Base, which is a little isolated. It comes um, in a... In a a part of the Gemara that talks about our obligations to eat and drink and have a su'uda together on Purim, whether you should go to others or bring food to others, or whether the food that you bring for Shlachmona should... You know, there's a whole discussion there. And this is inserted in the middle. It's quite a startling story. It's quite a strange story. And we really need to understand why it is, what it is that... Why it is that the Gemara is here, what the Gemara mentions this uh, halacha, and the story, and what it is that the Gemara wants to teach us. Because as you know, the Gemara is a source of law and law. 
L-A-W and L-O-R-E for the Jewish nation. And it, uh, you know, the Talmud doesn't simply deliver information for the sake of filling up a page. Every single detail of um, every page on the Gemara is there for a purpose. Let's see if we can work out, we can calculate the purpose of this Gemara. I'm going to read you um, source number two. Source number two is something I've put together, which really is a summary of the issues of the Gomorrah I just read, and also um, discusses what it is that we're going to address during the course of this year. You can find quite a number of sources in the Torah and scriptures that praise the good qualities of wine and its inebriating effect. One famous example, I think you all know it, is in Tehillim. It's in Tehillim, Kuf Dalad, Pasuk, Nun Aleph. The Yayin Yesamach Levav Enoish. And wine surely gladdens the heart of man. However, even though that's the case, there are also a number of stories in the Torah that condemn drunkenness and the resulting out-of-control behavior. For example, the story about Noah when he got drunk. It's in Bereshis chapter Tess, and the story of Light and his daughters. They were in the cave. It's also in Bereshis in chapter Yudtes, and it's not. These are not the only stories where drunkenness is mentioned, and not in a positive context. So, how do we square that with Vayayim Yisamach Levav Enosh? In Talmudic literature and Midrashim, one can also find both sides of the coin. There is both praise and condemnation for excessive drinking. In the piece that we just read from Maseches Megillah about drinking on Purim, we can see that Rava explicitly directs us to drink excessively a lot on Purim, so much so that we lose any sense of clarity in a way, just as Light did in his story with his daughters, where it says, Yoda by the Kumai. He did not know when he lay down, nor when he got up. But what about the fact that Light, Lot, was criticized for his actions, and Noach was as well? Similarly, in the Medrash Vayikra there is an opinion that says that Nodov and Avihu, that's Aaron HaKohen's sons, Aaron the high priest had two sons, they went into the sanctuary and they were killed, says this opinion in the Medrash, they were killed by God because they entered the sanctuary in a drunken state. The Talmud also explicitly condemns those who drink too much. I'll give you examples. So, Gemarin Ksubus, Daf Ayin, Hey, Omud Aleph. This is the direct quote Drunkenness leads to forbidden sexual relations. There's another one in Sanhedrin. Um, so in Sanhedrin, sorry, the previous one was Samachay Ahmed Aleph. This one is in Ayin Ahmed Aleph in Sanhedrin. There is nothing that causes a person greater lamentation, regret, than wine. So how do we square that with what Rava says? How we meant to reconcile these, this contradiction? We also have the 13th century halachic authority, Erchus Chaim. 
He's quoted by the Beis Yosef. Who's the Beis Yosef? It's Rabbi Yosef Karo. He was the author of the Shulchan Aruch, but he also wrote a giant commentary on the Tur, and he distilled all the basic halachic information from that commentary into a final version that we know as the Shulchan Aruch. Of course, we're much more familiar with the Shulchan Aruch because it's a list of rules and regulations and customs. But um, a lot of the reasoning behind what he eventually decided was the definitive halacha can be found in the Beis Yosef that was written on the Tur, that was his commentary on the Tur. And this is what he says, quoting the Orchus Chaim, who is unequivocal in his criticism of drinking too much alcohol. This is the quote in the Beis Yosef. Inebriation is entirely prohibited in Judaism, and there is no greater sin than drunkenness. It is the cause of many other sins. So you see the Orchus Chaim, quoted by the Beis Yosef, along with all the other things that we've said, both from Tanakh and from Gemaras Midrashim, are very clear that drunkenness is not something to be encouraged and it's certainly not something to be celebrated. How is it that Rava says, How would Rava encourage us to do something which it would appear is um, an activity that should be prescribed by Halacha, should certainly be forbidden? And finally, how do we explain the story of Rabba and Rabbi Zeira? Frankly, I'm going to be extremely frank here. I know we're talking about Rabba, we're talking about the great Rabba, who is one of the greatest of all the sages of the Talmud. But let's be frank. If he murdered Rabbi Zeira, why wasn't he arrested for murder? So you're going to say, oh, he brought him back to life. Excuse me, attempted murder. Right? I mean, what would happen if one of us became so drunk that we caused somebody grievous bodily harm or worse? Surely, even if that person was revived and recovered, we'd still be arrested. Why? Where? What's the underlying basis of this story? Is We're just dismissing it. It sounds flippant almost. Rabbi says the following year, Ha! We had such a great time last year! What a party! Come again! Are you kidding me? You murdered somebody at that party. Nah, it was fine. The next day it was fine. What are you talking about? What are you saying, Rabba? You killed somebody. Did you say sorry? Did anything happen to you? What are the consequences? What did this story try to teach us? That's what I'm going to try and address during the course of this year. Let's turn the page, from page two now, source number three. This is Rabbi Avroham ben Harambam. So you know Maimonides um, had a son called Avroham. He continued in the tradition of his father, in both philosophy and halacha. And he wrote various, I'm going to call them articles or essays. One of them which is called Ma'amar al-Droshois Chazal. Continuing in the vein of his father in Meir trying to understand some of the um, difficult, challenging uh, aspects of the Talmud, which is the narrative information. A lot of the stories in the Talmud and Midrashim appear to us to be, uh, you know, if you have a rational brain, 
to be a little bit beyond the realms of rational thought and um, rational cultural norms. Okay, so unless you're somebody who subscribes to magic or to I don't say mysticism, but to like a sort of primitive folklore, you're going to find the stories in the Talmud quite challenging. In the course of this Mamar Aldrosha, is Chazal, Rabbi Avram ben Arambam addresses this story about Rabbi and Rabbi Zeira in Megillah. So clearly challenged, as he knew people were, by this story, he felt the requirement to offer what we call in, liter in literary terms an apology. It's not, he's not saying sorry, but some type of apologetic explanation for a story that appears to us so jarring that we find it difficult either to take seriously, or if we do take it seriously, to, um, to uh, understand why it should be included in the body of text known as the Talmud. So this is what he says. He deliberates over the stories in the Gemara, which were obviously written, he says, in an exaggerated way. With reference to the story of Rabban Rabzeira, he says that the story actually did happen. As opposed, by the way, to some stories that are recorded, but he says did not happen. Those are other stories. But in this particular case, he says a story happened. But, he says, the language used to tell the story should not be taken literally. Rabbi Avram ben Arambam. We're not talking about some modern reform, enlightened academic. Rabbi Avram ben Arambam. We're going to read you his words in the original Hebrew. There are stories which did actually happen as they're written. They were written deliberately in a sense, using exaggerated, um, overdramatic language in such a way that it would be impossible for any person who's reading that story to take it literally. You know, if I told you I jumped three feet, you might say, not sure in your physical state that that's something that's easily done. But maybe, I don't know, it's possible, right? I mean, we don't know for sure. For I mean, maybe suddenly Pinney did a lot of exercise and he did a lot of practice. He can jump three feet. It's possible. If I told you I jumped 50 feet, what would you say? <laughs> You're not Superman. And, you know, it, there's no special effects in real life. There's no way you jump 50 feet. So why are you telling me you jump 50 feet? I have no idea. We've got to work that one out. We'll get there. But you know that what I'm saying doesn't make any sense, literally. Says Rabbi Avram ben Arambam, this is a story that happened, but the way it was expressed was deliberately presented so that we don't take it in a literal way. That we don't believe that actually what was said was what happened. Continues Rabbi Avram ben Arambam, Shehem divrei havoi. These are words of exaggeration. Ke'inyun she'omru b'gemara tomid. As it says in tomid, Dibra toira loshen havoi. The Torah spoke in loshen havoi. In an exaggerated way. In an expressive way. Dibru neviim b'loshen havoi. Similarly with the words of the prophets. Dibru chachomim b'loshen havoi. And it continues, the Mishnah says, that the sages also spoke in that same very expressive, exaggerated way. 
What does that mean? In the Talmud you can find exaggeration, you know, literary license used very, very frequently. And an example of this can be found in our Gemara that we mentioned here in the first source that we read, the Gemara in Megillah Daf Zayin, Rabba Rabzeira of the Sudasabad Adodi Kom Rabba Shachtailer Abzeira by Rachme Aleva Achye. We can see in that story that it's not possible that it happened the way it was reported to us in the Gemara. Pirush, so how do we explain it? Shehiko, he hit him, Upatsa by Chabura Gadoila. And he caused him to have a great wound or some um, terrible result of the hit that he gave him, right? He, he smacked him around it. Later on, he says he hit him on his neck. He caused him to pass out. Shekorov Lemisa. It was, it's close to death. It was, I don't know, a near-death experience. But he was unconscious to the extent that people thought, oh my gosh, he died. But he didn't die. And because it was such a big hit, Rabba hit him so powerfully, the way the Gemara describes it, by using this very exaggerated term, he slaughtered him, he murdered him. It doesn't mean, you know, sometimes you say somebody's a killer. It doesn't mean he actually killed anyone. It's an exaggerated way of saying something is like extremely strong in whatever field it is. It's a killer, it's amazing, it's strong, it's weak, whatever it is. He hits him in such a way that the Gemara says, Shachte, he slaughtered him. It doesn't mean that Rabbi killed Rabbi Zeira. So the first thing that we're seeing here is that Rabbi Avram ben Harambam, looking at this story, says, do not take this story seriously. What we're not seeing in Rabbi Avram ben Harambam is an explanation for the presentation of this story. Why is this story in the Gemara? Why put it there? And in the event that it is there, at least offer some mitigating explanation. Don't just give us a story in this very exaggerated Divrei Havoi language and expect us to know exactly why it's there. Because we don't. We're reading the story. We're uninitiated in the intentions of the sages when they included this story in the Gemara. Rabbi Ramban Arambam's um, sole purpose here in his article, in his, uh, in his piece, Mamar al Droshais Chazal, is simply to inform us that the story shouldn't be taken literally. Let's look now at how the Halacha addresses this issue. And as you know, Maimonides, although he very often addressed some of these issues, um, very directly, occasionally, more than occasionally, in his halacha, would address these issues indirectly. So we can see from the way he decided halacha, how he had reacted to, to particular aspects of the Gemara. So now we're going to look at what the Rambam says. How did he paskin the halacha? What was that? Remember what the halacha was? The halacha was, Mikhayev inish lebesume adaleyoda, a person is required to get so inebriated, so blind drunk, that they don't, don't, don't know the difference between 
Oror Haman cursed his Haman and Baruch Mordechai blessed his Mordechai, which comes from, as you know, the song that we sing Shoshanas Yaakov after the Megillah, an ancient song. That being the case, how does the Rambam Paskin? What would you expect? Omar Rava? Rava said. Who came first, by the way? Rabba or Rava? Who came first? Rabba came first. Rabba and Rabazeira are from a previous generation. They're from, from the third generation of Amoiraim. In fact, Rabazeira came from Eretz Yisrael and Rabba came from Bavel. Although Rabazeira was born in Bavel, he moved to Eretz Yisrael and that's where he lived. He's go backwards and forwards a bit, but that's where he lived. Zeira, his name is. Zeira in, in Bavli. Um, Rava was a Talmud of Rabba. What would we say if we see a Psak from Rava and we don't see anybody after him, not no, Ravashi and Ravina, don't say anything about Rava's Psak? Abaye often argues with Rava, right? Although we always pask in like Rava, except for in six cases in the Gemara, um, which we know through the acronym Ya'al Kagam, in all the many disputes the debates in halacha between Rava and Abaya, we always paskin like Rava. So who do we paskin like in this situation? Abaya is not even arguing with him. Who would we paskin like? What would the Pesach be, the halacha? Like Rava, right? So what should it be? Every person has to become blind drunk on Purim until they don't know the difference between Arur Haman and Baruch Mordechai. That should be the Pesach. Before you looked at the Rambam, you would expect him to say exactly what Rava said, word for word. It's not what he says. Have a look. He should drink wine until he becomes drunk. And here it goes. And he dozes off as a result of his tipsiness. That's not quite the same as the Gemara, is it? Doesn't, uh, does not quite the same. It sounds like an interpretation. The Gemara says, Omarova, Adeloyoda bein Oruhaman lebaruch Mordechai. That's not what he says. What does he say? Until you doze off, until you fall asleep. Says the Masir Akeach. There's others as well. I've just chosen him because he, he speaks with great clarity. Upashat divrei Rabbeinu. Upshat divrei Rabbeinu. Sha'achar sheyishtaker yoshen do you want to know the explanation of what Maimonides is telling us, says the Maser Akeach? That he should drink so much that he falls asleep, because if he gets too drunk, he's going to, it's going to result in him doing something which he will regret. <laughs> Don't allow yourself to go over the edge, because if you do, you will regret it. Continues... The Masir Akeach, Umikol Makoim Ha'achronim Zalkosvushi Yishta Yoiser Melimudoi. So, you know what the Achronim say? The later rabbis after the Rambam, they say, drink more than you are used to. Do you normally drink one glass of wine with your meal? Drink two or three. Don't drink a bottle. Certainly don't drink two bottles and a half a bottle of vodka. Drink more than you are used to. In order to do the mitzvah. And that is uh, the proper way of doing it. Says the Ramah on the Shulchan Aruch. Explaining this halacha. By the way, it's mentioned in the Shulchan Aruch. 
And the Ramah explains what it's talking about. How do we reconcile the Rambam's version and the Psak, the halachic decision that we saw from Rava in Megillah, says the Ramah, And there are those who say, you, you mustn't get so drunk. Rather, you should drink more than you are used to. The Maserokeach. The Yoshe. And fall asleep. He explains the falling asleep part. How do we still keep the halacha according to what Ravah said in the Gemara? When we're sleeping, if somebody is sleeping and you ask him, uh, excuse me, do you know the difference between Baruch Mardachai and Arur Haman? What are they going to answer? They're snoring. They're completely out of it. Will they know the difference between Baruch Mardachai and Arur Haman? Of course not. Why would they know the difference? They're sleeping. So you have discharged your duty. Chayiv inish You have to get that drunk that Adeloyoda Bein Arur Haman Baruch Mardachai. Doesn't say you have to become blind drunk. You need to be tipsy enough that if you go for a nap, you'll fall asleep right away. And you won't know the difference between these two expressions. By the way, in another share that I gave, I explained why it is that these, particularly these two expressions, and the Yerushalmi has another version, or an additional version, uh, as to what it is that um, you shouldn't know the difference between on Purim. It's not important. I don't want to go into that part of it now. What I'm just trying to be practical here. Rava had made it sound like you need to be drunk, that you are, you know, listing and you don't know the day or night, you don't know who you are or where you are, that if someone says, who knows what he's saying? Says the Rambam, that's not what it means. Do you know what it means? You should have a nap on Purim. And when you have the nap on Purim, you don't know the difference between Baruch Mardachai and Oro Haman. That's it. And now I'm going to read you the Mishnah Bura. Mishnah Bura, of course, Bir Halacha here, written by the Chovitz Chaim. A seminal halachic work was written at the end of the 19th century and finished publication in the first few years of the 20th century, used to this day as a definitive source of halachic guidance. Says the Bi'ur Halacha, going into detail about exactly this discussion. How is it possible that Chazal required us to get so drunk when we see multiple places in the Nevi'im, in the Torah, that you mustn't get drunk and drunkenness is a great challenge. It can cause you to do the most terrible things. Why would Chazal encourage something that will pose a danger to an ordinary person? He says, perhaps we can answer Perhaps we can say that the reason we are encouraged to drink alcoholic beverages on Purim is because all the great miracles that took place, all the major events, that's the way I'm going to put it, that took place on Purim happened as a result of drinking. It began with drinking, parties in Achashverosh's palace. Then there was the drinking that took place at, um, at the parties uh, with um, Esther, which resulted in Haman being overthrown. 
And finally, the Mishteh, the end of the Megillah, which, Megillah, which celebrates the victory over those who wish to destroy the Jewish nation. All of those things mention drinking. So Chazal, even though they were reticent, decided that despite the dangers posed by drinking, on this particular occasion, we're going to encourage drinking because there is a correlation between what happened on Purim in the story of Purim and the festival of Purim and how we should celebrate it. So you should use the wine as a vehicle to remind yourself of this great miracle that happened. In other words, the wine in and of itself is not to make you drunk, but the drunkenness that results from the wine. So why am I doing this on Purim? Oh yes, because Oruhamon and Baruch Mordechai. There is some sense of what's going on if you're doing something which is, it's like what, we eat matzah on Pesach. Why do we meet, eat matzah on Pesach? We eat the matzah because it's lechem oini. Why do we light the menorah on Hanukkah? Because it reminds us of the actual event, the festival that took place. They didn't have enough oil to finish eight days before new oil was made. So we light the menorah to commemorate that miracle. Why do we drink on Purim? It's part of the festival of Purim. Like we light the menorah on Hanukkah and eat matzah on Pesach, we drink alcohol on Purim. It's part of that miraculous narrative. That's what, that's what the Chofetz Chaim writes in the Bir Halacha. It's all something which is a mitzvah. In other words, it's a good thing to do, but it shouldn't, if you didn't do it, then it's not as if you haven't discharged your obligation. It's not one of the mitzvahs, one of the four core mitzvahs of Purim. It's something that enhances the mitzvah of Purim. So now the Chovitz Chaim here in Bir Halocha wants to address the elephant in the room that you need to drink so much that you don't know the difference between Oror Haman and Baruch Mordechai. The Meiri was a 14th century Rishon, one of the last of the great Rishonim that uh, wrote commentary on the uh, on the Talmud. Much of it was lost and then rediscovered in the Vatican archives in the, uh, the beginning of the 20th century. But there were remnants of it that survived even while most of it was lost, quoted in other Sfarim. And this is what the Me'iri has to say about this particular passage in Maseches Megillah. Chayiv Odom laharbois basimcha a person is obligated to increase his levels of joy on this particular day. In terms of what they eat, they should eat a festive meal. And in drinking, talking about alcohol, until it becomes evident that he lacks absolutely nothing. To the maximum of his ability, he should eat and drink on Purim. says the Meiri. We are absolutely not instructed to become so drunk that we diminish ourselves in the midst of this joyful occasion. 
שלא נצטווינו על שמחה של הוללוס ושל שטוס. We are not instructed to have wanton um, joy or stupid joy. That's not the purpose of Purim, to behave like, like um, animals. That's not what Purim is about, says the Meiri. You mustn't become so drunk that you completely lose com- control of yourself. We're talking about a joy, a pleasure, pleasurable joy. I sat down at a lovely meal and I had a you know, good piece of meat or whatever it is and I drank the best wine that I could buy to enhance the quality of that meal. But that's all it's about. As a result of eating that meal and drinking, you will increase your love of God. And you will recognize and uh, remember and thank God for all the great miracles that he did for us. And here we have what the Chochmas Odom says, also quoted here by the Mishnah Bura in Bir Halacha. Because the miracle was, was always in every stay, at every stage connected to wine. And at least, at the very least, to drink a little bit more than one is used to. In order to remember this great miracle. Like we drink, I'm not comparing the two. We drink four cups of wine on Pesach. As part of this remembrance that we have of the miracle of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. On Purim, which is connected so much to drinking in the narrative itself, if you read the Megillah. We should drink, at the very least, more than one is used to drinking at a normal meal of celebration. If you know that as a result of drinking more than you are, you are used to, that somehow you're going to be, uh, you'll discard, you will ignore, you will marginalize, forget, mistreat, any mitzvah that you have to observe during the period of time that you're going to be drunk. For example, natilas yodayim, washing your hands to make the bracha of al natilas yodayim. Or birkas hamozayim, to bench after the meal. You're so drunk that you won't be able to bench. Or you won't be able, because of your drunkenness, to pray mincha, the afternoon prayer, or marev, the evening prayer. If you will behave in an inappropriate way, your behavior will not be becoming to you. It's much better, it's preferable, says the Chochmas Odom, quoted here by the Bir Halacha, not to drink too much and become tipsy. All your actions should be for the sake of heaven. In other words, if you are able to drink and hold your drink and behave appropriately after you've had a bit more to drink than usual, of course you should drink on Purim because there is this correlation between Purim and drinking. However, if drinking is going to lead you to misbehave or not behave properly, not behave correctly with dignity to keep mitzvahs, that's you shouldn't drink because all your actions have to be l'shem shamayim. Okay, now, let's go back to the story, this crazy story, this shocking story of Rabbah and Rabzeira. How do we explain it? 
So the riff, you know the riff was Al-Fasi? He was a Sephardic rabbi, lived in Morocco, and he came before the Rambam, and he was the first person to distill all the halachic information contained in the Talmud into one text, leaves out all the major narratives and all the debates, and he offers a definitive halachic guidance, but it's based, it's in the order of the Gemara. So if you look at, let's say, Maseches Megillah, if he takes out all the pieces that are stories and which are not relevant to halacha, and he just includes, and often, you know, he, ma he makes a choice between one of the sages of the Talmud or another in terms of giving halachic guidance, how one should behave. So he had, there's a commentary on the riff called the Ran. And the Ran says as follows concerning this Gemara. He quotes Rabbeinu Ephraim, who came before him. From this story where we see that Rabbah got up and murdered Rabbi Zera, as we saw in the Gemara, that pushes away, it dismisses the Psak Halacha of Rava. How did Rambam, Maimonides, have the courage to reduce, as we said earlier, Rava was very clear. You have to get drunk. doesn't mean sleep, it means get drunk. But Maimonides reduced it. Remember, he, he kind of parked it into the falling asleep, dozing off side of things. In order, said the Masir Akech, so that one should forget or the difference between Baruch Mordechai and Orohamon. But either way, he certainly doesn't keep with Rava's Psak, says the Ran, quoting Rabbeinu Ephraim. Do you know why? Because the story inserted into the Gemara is to teach you that even though Rava said that is the pure halacha, that the negative effect, the potential negative impact of drinking too much is so great that even the great Rava, got into this situation where he caused physical bodily harm to Rabbi Zera, and the Gemara put that story in to tell you, be careful, watch out. This halacha shouldn't be taken too seriously because you can dismiss it in the event that if the great rabbi behaved this way, who knows how you are going to behave if you have too much to drink. It's absolutely not okay to behave this way, and we don't want anyone to fall into that same trap. Says the Maharsha, with the top of page three. with absolutely impossible. I cannot fathom, says the Maharsha, how we could ever interpret this story according to its basic meaning. Venire, Derotsaloima. And therefore, it appears to me that this is what the story wants to say. That what happened, he, he, the, how did he murder him? He didn't murder him. He forced him to drink. He said, come on, it's Purim. Have another drink. Have another one. Just drink one more. Just one more. Just have another drink. And he drank too much, more than he was able to drink, until he fainted or fell into a drunken stupor. And he wasn't able to function properly. And it was almost as if he had died. And Rabbah was so nervous 
at what had happened as a result of him pushing Rabbi Zera to drink, that he davened for him that he shouldn't die, from this sickness that he'd been seized with as a result, I guess, of alcohol poisoning, and his prayers were answered, and Rabbi Zera eventually woke up from, from uh, his having fallen into this drunken stupor, and he lived. And we see that the word chai, says the Maharsha, doesn't always mean he became alive, but that he recovered. So again, the Maharsha wants to even diminish the the uh, literal aspects of the story, so that we don't suspect the great rabbi of having murdered his friend. Here we have, the next thing is very interesting. So you know that the Chassam Seifer, Chassam Seifer, Rabbi Moshe Seifer, he was originally from Frankfurt. Okay, he learned in yeshiva in Frankfurt. And eventually he became the Rav of Bratislava. Right? So... Uh, that was towards the end of his life, the last almost 30 years of his life. He was the Rav of Bratislava, Pressburg. He was married to a wife for many, many years, never had children. And eventually she died and he got remarried. He remarried the daughter of Rabbi Akiva Eger, who was basically the same age as him. They were colleagues. And Rabbi Akiva Eger had a brother who was actually younger than Rabbi Moshe Seifer, the Nechassam Seifer, who is now his uncle. And they became very close. His name was Rabbi Simcha Bunim Gintz, or Eger. Gintz was the family name, Eger was the place they came from. And they corresponded frequently, regularly, on halachic matters. I've put here very short, there in the italics, who Rabbi Simcha Bunim Gintz Eger was. He was the chief rabbi of a place called Mattersdorf. He actually died 10 years before the Chassam Sofer. The Chassam Sofer lived for those days to quite an old age, in the very late 70s, I think 78 or 79. And uh, I think he died in his 60s, but they corresponded regularly. In any event, he writes him a long tshuva. The tshuva was, if I recall correctly, as I've written it here, was written to him in 1813. He says, um, Haran, He quotes this, that we saw, Rabbeinu Ephraim said, that, uh, if you remember, we, we just said it a moment ago, that this story was only inserted into the Gemara in order to discourage people from observing this Psak of Rava to get drunk on Purim. Mehodakom Rabba Vashachte le Rabzeira Botele Maida Omar Rava Chayv Inish le Besume. That the law, the halacha, the directive from Rava was abandoned as a result of this story that was quoted by the Gemara that represented a situation where a person got so drunk that he actually murdered his friend. If that's the case, we need to really um, look into what it is that the Rif said, because don't forget the Ran was commenting on the Rif. And there are many other halachic opinions that say you should get drunk on Purim. So we see the Ran 
quoting Rabbeinu Ephraim that you shouldn't get drunk on Purim. However, says the Chassam Sofer, that's just one opinion, but there's plenty of opinions that say that you should get drunk on Purim. How do we reconcile the fact that you've just said that the story was only inserted into the Gemara in order to remove any requirement to get drunk on Purim? And we need, even need to work out about Rava himself. We need to uh, reason as to why he would have passed in that way. To have a basar Rabba. So what did we just say about Rava? Who was his Rebbe? Rabba. Surely he knew this story about Rabba murdering Rabzera. If he knew this story, how could he then later on, after that story happened, Paskin? say that the halacha is that you should get so drunk on Purim that actually you might do what Rabba did to Reb Zerah. And he paskins the halacha that a person must get inebriated on Purim to the extent that he can't tell the difference between Baruch Madchai and Arahaman. Arkein nire lefianiyastati. Says the Chassam Sofa, for that reason I would like to humbly suggest. He quotes a Gemara in Shabbos. Mazel Sha'a Goyre Man to have a Bama'adim. Fascinating. He says, and this, I'm, if you look below, I've, I've actually, number 10, I've actually put the Gemara in there. Someone who is born under the influence of the planet Mars will be someone who spills blood. They they they, that's what it says in the Gemara. I don't know what they believed or didn't believe. This is, it's a long piece of Gemara, by the way. It's not just this. The Gemara there talks about if somebody's born Sunday, somebody's born on Monday, somebody's born on Tuesday. And one of the th things that are mentioned there is somebody who's born under the influence of Mars. Whatever that means, I don't know enough about astrology. Is it astrology? Yes, astrology. Astrolog I don't know enough about it to be able to tell you what that means. But in any way, you know, at the moment we can see Mars here in the sky in California. I don't know if in the rest of the world, but uh, you see the difference between a planet and a star is that a star twinkles. And a planet doesn't twinkle. So if you look up in the sky at night, you'll see that there's one quite large star that's, that's constant. That's the planet Mars. In any event, Rav Ashi said, it's in the Gemara, he will either be a bloodletter or a thief or a slaughter of animals, a sheikhet, or a moel, somebody who does circumcisions. Now this, look at this quote. Rabba said, I was born under the influence of Mars. Rabba gives Edus testimony on himself that he was born in that, whatever that period of time is that's called under the influence of Mars, but I don't do any of those things. So how can I, how can you suggest that somebody who's born under the influence of Mars is going to be somebody who spills blood because I'm not a bloodletter, a thief, or a shaykhet, or a moil? So Abaya said to him, my master also punishes and kills as a judge. So as a judge, you have the power of capital punishment. He's suggesting here that Rabba had, at least on an occasion, or more than one occasion, been a judge in a capital case, where he had passed judgment on a capital crime that resulted in an execution. In other words, you are somebody who spills blood, even though you're not guilty of spilling blood, and you're not any of those four things that were mentioned. Nevertheless, that's, you can see that the correlation between your being born and under the influence of Mars, has had an effect on your life. To go back to uh, number nine here, let's see what the Hassan Seifer makes of this Gemara. 
that that which you were born under the influence of Mars has an effect on your life. And we saw that Rabbo said, I was born under the influence of Mars. He quotes the Gemara. The Efsha says, the Chasam Seifer, it's possible. So you're going to say, why didn't Abaya say to him, don't forget, Rava and Abaya were both Talmidim of Rabbah. Remember I said that earlier. Why didn't Abaya say to him, why did he say to him that you're a judge in capital cases? Why didn't he just say to him, of course you're a murderer, a blood spiller. You killed Rabzeira. The Eloite Mahachi Havale Lamema Marnami Shachtele Rabzeira says Rachasim Seifet must have that this story about Rabba admitting that he was born under the influence of Mars must have happened before the Purim story where he killed Rabzeira because otherwise surely Abaya would have asked him, What are you talking about? You killed Rabizeira. Bahashta Yeshloima Dafka Rabba de Isyalid Bemadim Shriche Gabe Hezeka. So why is this story here, says the Chassam Seifer, notwithstanding the fact that the story in Shabbos happened before, nevertheless the reason the Gemara includes this very strange narrative is to tell you, if you are a person who has an inclination because you were born in an astrological time that will affect the way you behave, if you're such a person who might commit a murder, then you mustn't get drunk on Purim. Um, However, the vast majority of people don't have that inclination because they weren't born, as it were, under the influence of Mars so that they might spill blood and therefore they are obligated on Purim, like Rava says, to drink to the extent that they don't know the difference between Orohaman and Baruch Mordechai. And we know that Shluchei Mitzvah in Anizokin. Nothing bad is going to happen and we know that those who are doing a mitzvah will never, as a result of that mitzvah, cause any harm and they themselves won't be harmed. And bad things will not happen as a result of the joy of the simcha of Purim that we're celebrating by drinking a lot. The nizkeh, says the chasam sofer, may we all merit. To celebrate in the house of our God. Amen. So you see the Chassam Soifa uh, backpedals on Rabbeinu Ephraim and the Ran and others, including the Rambam, who suggest that you shouldn't drink on Purim and that this story that was included in the Gemara was to act as a warning that the Halacha of Rava, the Psak Halacha of Rava is not to be taken seriously to the extent that every single person should drink. He says, no, there are a minority of people that might fall in under this rubric of misbehavior, but the vast majority of people, even if they get very drunk, will not misbehave and nothing bad will happen to them. That was an exaggerated, extreme story that was included just as a note of warning, but really, everybody is going to be absolutely fine. Shluchei mitzvah einon izokin. Now I've included a long piece from the Lubavitcher Rebbe, which will take us through almost until the end. Um, I, I took it from a translation online, but I have somewhat changed the translation. And if there are any errors in this translation, it's all my fault. It's got certainly nothing to do with the Lubavitcher Rebbe. The story of Rabbah and Rabbi Zeira demands an explanation. 
How is it possible one of, that one of the Talmud's leading sages performed an act that, had it not been for a miracle, would have resulted in his colleague's death? And there is another element of the story that's problematic. Rabba's invitation to Rabbi Zaira to come again for Purim party the following year. The Talmud doesn't tell us that Rabba repented. On the contrary, it seems he was prepared to share a Purim thesis with Rabbi Zaira. Again, despite the possibility that the same thing that happened last year would happen this year. What is equally amazing is what Rabzeira responded to Rabba. What did he say, says the Rabba? He didn't refuse Rabba's invitation. What would you have done? You would have said, are you crazy? You killed me last year. What do you think? Have you lost your mind? That's not what he said. He didn't categorically reject the invitation. Instead, he said to him, you know what? I would come, but a miracle doesn't happen every minute. So maybe it's not such a good idea, implying that we'd have liked to accept Rabba's offer, but couldn't because he wasn't, wasn't sure that if he was murdered again, that he would be brought back to life again. That sounds a bit far-fetched, says the Rabba. There are those who explain that the story reflects spiritual concepts. By the way, we didn't look at that. The Shlach Kodesh says that this wasn't a literal story and that he killed him with Torah talk. He destroyed him and they brought him back to life. The whole thing is Kabbalistic, mystical and um, spiritual. But says the Rebbe, it would be wrong to say it is merely an allegory, as it would appear that the story about Rabban and Rabzeira is being quoted by the Gemara as an example of the directive being discharged, namely, a person is obligated to become intoxicated on Purim. Also, we can see that Rabbi Ephraim uses the example of Rabbah's conduct to argue that the Gemara didn't accept the law of Chayv Inish Libesume. So if that's the case, clearly Rabbi Ephraim took the story somewhat literally, whatever that may mean, whether it's literal to what the Abraham Ben Arambam said or some other version of it. Nevertheless, Rabbi Ephraim is taking the story literally. He's not saying it's some spiritual mystical concept. So the Rebbe continues... Turn to page four. Rabbi continues as follows. From either perspective, it's clear that the story of Rabbi and Rabzeira is not an allegory. Rather, it recalls an event that actually took place. In which case, we need to find an explanation that both interprets the story according to the basic meaning of the literal understanding of it, that the two rabbis became so intoxicated and the rabbi murdered Rabbi Zeira, while at the same time, it projects an image of great um, rabbis within Chazal that befits their spiritual stature. We're talking about Rabbi. We're talking about Rabbi Zera. We're not talking about Joe Bloggs and his friend Fred. We're talking about two extraordinary rabbis. We need an explanation that helps us understand how Rabbi's actions can in any way be associated with him, and they're not associated with murder. And why it is that Rabbi Zera would have wanted to come back the next year, even though in the end he declined because he said, I don't know if a miracle will happen again. How do we understand what, he, what these were? Two people who wanted to go to, to a crazy party? Perhaps we can compare this story to another tragedy associated with excessive drinking, the death of Aaron's sons, Nodov and Avihu. The Medrash says, at least according to one opinion, that they died because they entered the Mishkan while they were drunk. If that is the case, we have a question. 
Aaron's sons were on a very high spiritual level. We know that from what Moshe Rabbeinu said about them. How is it possible for them to conduct themselves in such a disreputable way? The Orachim explains that the death of Nodav and Avihu can be understood as follows. They came so close to the sublime light with holy love that they died because of it. Their death was equivalent to the death of the righteous. Right? Nodav and Avihu had the ultimate form of Misa, the highest form of Misa. And the Torah alludes to this by saying, the Korvam el Hashem, and they're drawing close to Hashem, that's when they died, implying that their death came as a result of their drawing close to Hashem. Now we can understand what the Medrash means when it says that they entered the sanctuary, the Mishkan, while they were drunk. Wine is always used as an analogy for the Torah's deepest secrets. Nichnas yayin, it's reflected in that chazal. What the Medrash means by being drunk with wine is that God's most innermost secrets overwhelmed their powers of thought and led them to an inextinguishable yearning for Hashem, resulting in the departure of their neshamas, of their souls, from this physical world. And even though this is kind of an allegory, says the Rebbe, it's not completely divorced from the facts of the story, because in addition to partaking of the Torah's mystical secrets, Aaron's sons actually did drink wine. And it was because they were holy, when the alcohol released their inhibitions, it spurred them towards spiritual potential that they already had. Now the story of Rabbi and Rabbi and Rabbi Zera, it now makes sense. How does it make sense? Rabbi and Rabbi Zera may have drunk wine, but the Gemara is referring to the fact that they drank freely of the wine of the Torah. In other words, they delved deeply into the Torah's deepest secrets now that they were at that uninhibited level as a result of their alcohol intake. Rabbi Zera died. He got to the Nod of an Aviu level, his soul yearning for ultimate non-physical godliness like the souls of Aaron's sons. In which case, why does the Gemara say that Rabbah murdered Rabzeira? That's strong language. Shochte, come Rabbah of a shochte. The precise word that the Gemara uses is Yishochet, shochte. Generally, when the Talmud describes a killing, it uses the word katal, kotil. Why do you use the word v'shochte? When do we use the word v'shochte, says the Rebbe? Says Lubavitch Rebbe, we always use the word shechita with reference to a korban, a sacrifice to Hashem. That's when we use that word. The name Rabbah means the great one. What does it mean, Rabbah? Not Rebbe. Rabbah, what does it mean? The great one. That means he had a very broad intellectual capacity. The name Zera, Zaira, means the small one, which means he had a bit of a more limited capacity. During their feast, while Rabbah and Rabzeira were indulging in the deepest mystical secrets and drinking wine, Rabbah was calm. The word that we use in the Gemara is calm. He stood up. He was able to stand up to it, which means he rose to a higher level of mystical understanding, the Rabzeira. And so they shachet l'Rabzeira, shachte l'Rabzeira. He killed him. He overwhelmed him, as it were. He murdered him by drawing Rabzeira after him, sharing his deep knowledge. 
and understanding with him, Rabzeira, who was not at that level, was not able to keep up and his soul left him. Now we're beginning to get some sense of the story. Rabba's responsibility for Rabzeira's passing was a, a, an error of judgment. It's not murder. He didn't realize that Rabzeira couldn't keep up to that level. He thought that Rabzeira could, as he himself could, contain his soul despite becoming aware of these mystical truths. And since Rabbah had the power to bring Rabzeira back to life, he formed the opinion that the expiry of Rabzeira's soul in love for Hashem was not actually a negative experience. That's why he invited him back for Purim the following year. But Rabzeira declined the invitation. He realized that his journey, and by the way, our journey, us ordinary folk, is to serve God within the context of our material existence. He wasn't sure that he would be able to contain his soul in the face of these powerful secrets, and he was scared to die again. Die in that sense again. A miracle does not happen every moment. That's what he said to Rabbah. And he is therefore not willing to take the risk that he would not be able to continue his life on the material plane. And finally, says the Rebbe, the story of Rabbah and Rav Zera is cited to support the law that a person is obligated to become intoxicated on Purim to the extent that he doesn't know the difference between The fact that this law is brought into, in the Shulchan Aruch by the Shulchan Aruch, the Beis Yosef, indicates that we must not fear negative consequences. It's Purim! Purim is a time when every person can rise to unbounded levels of love for Hashem and at the same time return to controlled and measured divine service on the material plane. The heightened experience of this one day of Purim will impart energy and vitality to one's divine service for the whole year. And finally, number 12, just a short little piece. I saw it from Nili bin Ari. She's a Holocaust historian. From Kibbutz Tirat Tzvi, she's already an elderly woman, but some years ago she wrote this. Words from my father. Every year on Purim, she said, my dad would tell this story about Rabbah and Rabzeira from the Gemara Megillah, and he would then repeat all the questions that this story raised, and after that he would offer a Hasidic explanation, something he picked up as a child when he was in Galicia in Poland before the Holocaust. This is what he said. Do you know why Rabbah slaughtered Rabzeira? Because Rabzeira poured him black beer instead of white beer. You know, Hasidim loved to drink white beer together. And once they were merry, they made sure to tell the story of Rabbah and Rabzeira. And by citing this strange explanation for the murder, what they were really saying was that the story was not to be taken literally. It never happened. Lahoya. It's just a fable. We'll leave it here for today.